And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. folks welcome into on to waveland it's the cubs podcast here at the athletic i'm brett taylor joined by sahadav sharma and patrick mooney gonna talk cubs today uh i think the question on everybody's lips on everybody's minds uh, you know what it's on everybody's minds i'm going to give it voice via my lips how much better are the cubs than the dodgers i think is the only question uh, is it are, you, are they twice as good are they uh, you know, 10 times better. I think people, the, the people need to know. Inquiring minds need to know just how much better these Cubs are than the world-beating Dodgers. Uh, I, I kid-ish, although that is going to be the bulk of what we talk about today because the Cubs are fresh off taking two of three in Los Angeles against the Dodgers. They were actually a foot, a diving Nico Horner foot away from a series sweep. Um, and... That's I saw Marquis tweeted that that's the first series win in Los Angeles, non-playoff edition, since uh, 2014 for the Cubs. So almost a decade. I knew it had been a long time because I have no positive associations in my memory with these trips out to L.A., but uh, nearly a decade since the Cubs did what they did this weekend. And uh, that's, that's kind of where I want to kick things is I want to ask the obvious question, and you can give the obvious answer, um, is... How much weight do we and should fans put on one series win in Los Angeles against these Dodgers? Yeah, I mean, overall, I don't think too much, but it's I think there's some individual moments and some specific situations that I think. Uh, I find intriguing more than just I mean, it's it's nice for the team, obviously, but. Uh, you know, the starting pitchers looked so good. Mark Leiter looks like just a really good piece to this puzzle. Uh, Patrick Wisdom, uh, I, is it's he's in one of those situations where he started the situation where I'm wondering, is he a slightly different and slightly better player? Or is this just one of those locked in Patrick Wisdom extreme hot streaks that we have seen? I guess we'll find out over the course of the season, but... If he is a slightly better player than he has been in the past, a more consistent player, that that's the type of thing that you need for the season to go well. Uh, stuff like lighter, kind of all of a sudden becoming this player, uh, the, this reliever that's impactful. Uh, Bellinger turning the corner and, and being more similar to uh, pre 
2021 version. Those are the types of things the Cubs need. Uh, we've talked about it, but you need surprises and you need bounce back seasons and, and just kind of uh, that floor being extended into a higher ceiling. And, and I think it's, uh, you know, we're getting glimpses of what that could be and what that could mean. But also the Dodgers are not don't look as as like as great of a team this season. Uh, not that they aren't formidable, but it's it's still, you know, they, they have a ways to go before we can crown them. But I, I still feel like this team, uh, it, they need things like this early in the season in order to kind of get to where they need to be. It would be disingenuous for us when the Dodgers just blow the doors Cubs off, you know, just blow them away. And say, oh, they're so far away from championship caliber baseball to then not acknowledge the other side of that, I think just would be unfair. And so, you know, did not see this coming. Obviously, we'd written and talked about how difficult this stretch is. And so I think you have to you know, give them some credit when they get through a series that is amazing. 2014, Brett, that I had to look that up, that the area had a no hitter. They had lost those. Uh, two games prior and were not at all happy about the whole pajama road trip. That was kind of a like, really, Joe? Like there was that was definitely part of a feeling in the clubhouse. And then obviously they were all partying afterwards in their onesies and and whatnot. So I don't know, this is this was the whole idea, right? Of raising the floor and like being more competitive and like when they do that and like Winning series is a big thing, too. Like, it's kind of the most, like, essential, elemental part of baseball. And when you start stacking those up, I think you got to, you know, take that for what it is and not be like, you know, oh, it's close loss here. Oh, they're one pitch away there. Like, no, you have to, like, string these things together in order to, like, have a viable season. And, you know, they're off to a good start. I think you put that really well, Mooney, that if – if this weekend had gone very differently and the Cubs, if they had gotten smoked, as they have many times in recent years by teams like the Dodgers, we assuredly would be here talking about how, you know, we would drill into the minutia, but we would also sort of be at a 10,000 foot view saying things like, well, you know, this is just what where these two organizations are right now. This is what it looks like when the Cubs can't really compete with a, you know, a team like the Dodgers. And so it is only fair to note that even regardless of the game outcomes here, I didn't feel like I was watching two teams in completely different stratospheres of, of ability, performance, talent, all those things. It just didn't, it never looked like that. And to Sahadev's point, some of that is that the Dodgers, you know, you go up and down the lineup a bit. And I know that Will Smith was missing because uh, he, he just hit the concussion list, but you know, I was, reviewing it in advance of the series and especially with Seiya Suzuki returning it was like on paper is this Dodgers lineup that much better than the Cubs lineup on paper and I can see that it is better but you know I don't know that these Dodgers are as strong as they've looked in recent years and they're missing a couple pitchers but they didn't do anything this offseason and that's certainly a factor and guys get older and um, you know I don't know. I think that's an interesting component to this that maybe will matter later in the season to the Cubs. Maybe it won't, but of course the Cubs are going to play these Dodgers again very soon at Wrigley Field. 
And so I, I do think we can get into some of the game level stuff now, but I want to leave the, the higher level thinking just that, that these didn't look like two different teams. You know, they didn't look like they were playing two different sports as we've seen sometimes when the Cubs have played the Dodgers of recent years. And that's probably a little bit of each of them moving in the direction of the other, but it was very encouraging. Uh, I think this weekend, again, setting aside the results uh, of the Cubs taking the series and again, being so close, one, one slightly mislocated Michael Fulmer cutter away from uh, taking that middle game too. Um, let's for the for some of the game level stuff. Can we can we start there for a moment? Because I thought the way you, I think it was you, Sadev, the way you talked about that decision um, from David Ross to 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 either let Fulmer pitch to David Peralta or there to have been some miscommunication about what exactly was supposed to happen. Uh, for those that weren't following closely, you know, Cubs were up 1-0 in that game. Fulmer, who is not officially the closer, you know, capital C closer, but he does get those ninth inning spots right now. Um, runners on second and third, not, you know, the Dodgers weren't crushing him or anything. Two outs, David Peralta lefty comes up to pinch hit and, you know, you had first base open. You had Austin Barnes behind Peralta and uh, no Will Smith available. You know, arguably could have pitched around Peralta, um, but Fulmer tried to bust him inside with a cutter, caught a little too much of the plate, and Peralta's well-struck ground ball found the outfield. Two-run score, they win. Can you can you talk a little bit, Sadiv, about what David Ross was saying about that decision and what Fulmer was saying about what he was trying to accomplish um, by the way, it's really nice to be able to care about drilling into one hitter's decisions and how it swung a series that matters. This is fun. Yeah, well, I mean, Ross, when when asked about that, immediately said the the plan was, you know, pitch around him, uh, uh, walk him was the general plan. Uh, but but also saying just be careful. We know who's on deck. We we don't really know who who's available to pinch hit, right? Like Dave Roberts can say one thing. Obviously, more information came out after that game and and by Sunday. But I think in Ross's mind, he doesn't know how much gamesmanship is happening there. How available is Will Smith or not? Uh, so so he he didn't want to just assume that Will Smith was completely out and and 100% not playing. Uh, off the top of my head, I don't know who else was available on their bench to pinch hit, but uh, to me, in that moment, I think I think it makes sense to try and do as much as you can to get to Austin Barnes. Uh, intentional walk didn't seem to be on their mind. Uh, talking to Fulmer... So, for me, the difference was... Walk seemed to be at the front of Ross's mind while when when we approached Fulmer, his immediate response to like, what was the thought process? What was the message? And it was it was, well, last time I faced him, I got him with a cutter, uh, grounded out, thought I could get away with that again, probably should have gone further inside. And then with like some more pressing and, and mentioned someone mentioned that the base was open. How do you balance being aggressive with the base being open? And he's like, yeah, you know, I, like thinking back on it, I need to get that further in. And if it's a ball, it's a ball. If we walk him, we walk him type. That was basically the response. So it felt to me like what was at the front of each person's mind was different. Uh, so 
should Ross have walked him? Uh, yeah, in my mind, I think I think the the decision there is walk him. I also think, like you said, we're we're drilling down on these things. What exactly happened in that moment? I mean, it was. I mean, you said it was a well struck ground ball. I'm not sure if it was that well struck. Uh, and it was if you go back, I went back and I'm going to look right now. Yeah, you. No, okay, no, I'm going to go ahead. Look at this. Please do. And if you go back and look, I, I went back and looked at the last time he faced Peralta, and and Fulmer's right. First of all, it's the same pitch. He didn't get it further inside, and it's the exact same ground ball. It's hitting the same place. The second baseman just happened to be shifted over there. Uh, I mean, that's it. That's not that big of a hit. That uh, like. Michael Fulmer's numbers are insane. If he was getting a little bit more Babbitt block, people would be talking about how nasty of a closer he is. He's got a, like a 38% strikeout rate, like a 3% walk rate, and a 500 Babbitt with not like a ton of hard contact. It's not like they're ripping the ball all over the place. There's some blue pits in there. There's some ground balls that are finding holes. And people are calling for him to lose the closer's job like he can't handle the moment. I think the stuff is there. He said this. The stuff is there. He feels good. I think he looks fine. He went through the heart of the order yesterday. I, I think it's a it, – like, of all the decisions, I don't think it's going with Fulmer. I, I think it, uh, Ross shouldn't be thinking, do I need to shift how I'm using Fulmer? It, it, if anything – uh, the walk is where I my mind goes, but even then, I think we're we're going a lot of like results based analysis right now, uh, and it's easy to do that when you lose a two on ball game. I think the game was probably lost really in the eighth inning when when they couldn't score with the bases loaded, one out, and Ian Happ and Seiya Suzuki uh, up to bat like that. You got to get a run there. You got to get a run there. And I think those are the little things that are the big dif- that are going to be the big differences when this team plays games like this because they were able to tack on a couple runs on Sunday, right? They didn't just get stuck at one run; uh, they were able to tack on uh, two more runs, and and that that ended up being the difference. Uh, like they they just need to be able to tack on a little bit more at times, and and then they can rely on on uh just give the give the team a little bit more margin for error i guess but i i I think it's a i agree i think the big the biggest thing here is that we we're able to drill down on these moments that that it matters that it's that uh we can react and overreact to every moment that happens looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service anytime sounds like a real game changer if you ask us make the right call and get the service you deserve with discover limitations apply see terms at discover.com slash credit card Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Reddick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Real quick, it was 93 off the bat. Okay. So it was like that slight pink, a uh, little above, and a 410 expected uh, batting average on it. So it was... I, you okay. know, I, we could we do we can spend some if you want to talk about the meaning of well struck. I'm into it. I love yeah. no no no. I love uh, no. <laughs> no, it was it was a reasonably well struck. I think ball the ground that, ball that I agree the, that he got the out on honestly was like a hundred, like a hundred and one. Yeah. <laughs> like, so uh, <laughs> no, that's like the ultimate nerd level results based versus process yeah. based where it's like well one of them was the ground out but it was 100 off the bat and one was 93 and it found the hole and anyway Brett, yeah. you know it's going to be go, well go struck ahead. all of our listeners turning it off if we continue going down <laughs> the, is, the play button this is the point <laughs> <laughs> they won yesterday uh, right I mean, you're the yeah. mr positive know, right like they won the series you know i was gonna say hey moon, i need you to like you know bring say, some positivity yeah. here that <laughs> Otherwise, there definitely would have been that here we go again feeling, right? If they had lost yesterday in the ninth, or uh, I do think it speaks to like how this team was built of every day having a viable starting pitcher. Like you have Drew Smiley going the next day, and like you can kind of it's like oh they lost in the ninth on Saturday night, and they got some you know rando from Iowa coming up for an emergency start on Sunday. Like, they have a guy who has a World Series ring uh, pitching the series finale, and I, I think that matters. And obviously, this Dodger team, to Sato's point, isn't kind of maybe up to recent vintage, but, you know, a lot of the league is getting better. Like, I'm looking at the Arizona Diamondbacks. Like, they don't have outfield prospects. They have guys who are, like, 22, 23 years old playing every day in the big leagues. And, like... There's definitely something to that when you you look at the Brewers, how they the start they've gotten off to. Like the Cubs have to like get results this year. Like we can't. I think they know that too. We've all talked about the prove it concept. Like they have to go out and win these, you know, kind of series and uh, you know win more of those coin flips and not just point to like close losses or good records when they've already been buried in the race. Like you, it matters when you can come back. And not have another uh, meltdown uh, before you leave LA. To that point, um, I think we should note some very impressive starting pitching performances in this series. Like you said, Drew Smiley was very solid. I mean, he. What's interesting about his performance is how much it was just like the exact Drew Smiley we saw last year with the Cubs, kind of a on the shorter end of an outing, but not really getting squared up, keeping. 
them on the ground, especially with the curveball, seeming to get his strikeouts at the moments when they really needed a strikeout. Not necessarily a ton of them, but that, you know, sort of they're well-timed. Um, just a really solid outing. And he was following uh, Jameson Tyone, who, you know, it's only three starts this season, but I thought that was the best he's looked this year. Uh, and then Justin Steele, his outing, I know he gave up the solo homers, but like, I thought he looked really fantastic um, this time. And, you know, it, it does speak to what a strength this rotation can be, uh, even without an ace at the front. But it's just like, you know, a rotation full of like twos and threes and fours is, can be pretty darn good. And uh, I was very impressed overall by the, the starting pitching in this series. Yeah, absolutely. I I didn't realize how good that actually been overall. Uh, Three eleven ERA tops in the NL, I believe. Uh, that's. I mean, they've been outstanding. Outstanding. Sometimes I felt like watching Jamison Tyon. He he gets off to these slower starts so far in his outings. Like the first inning, sometimes into the second, seems like it's kind of. Uh, like his command isn't locked in, like he's not attacking attacking hitters like he does at his best. But his numbers are great. I mean, he's striking out 26% of the batters he's facing. Uh, his walks, my guess, are, are pretty low. Uh, it's, I mean, Steele and Stroman have been absolutely awesome. And Smiley, you know, he doesn't strike guys out, and he just manages to get through lineups. He's, it, it's, a, it's really impressive to watch, and... This is all with, you know, the most hyped guy from the spring being really, you know, just not looking good at all in his first two starts. Uh, Hayden Wisniewski doesn't look right right now. We'll see how how things uh, go tonight in Oakland. But, uh, I mean, when you have a front four like that, that's it's 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 kind of how they were built. It's kind of how we were supposed to see things work out. Uh, it's as it's as good as expected right now, and and maybe it can get a little bit better if Wisniewski can find his rhythm and, and get back to form. Which I you know it, it would be nice. Uh, it, this is a nice <laughs> team for him to face to try and build the confidence back up and try and figure some things out. Uh, if if he can do that, that that'd be nice for him and the team. Uh, but also if he can't, if if it takes a few starts. They have some depth. I mean, Kyle Hendricks may be coming, maybe close to coming back at some point in May. Uh, it's not. It, it doesn't feel like the end of the world if Wisniewski needs a little bit more time to figure things out or get right at AAA. I'm not saying that's happening because, like I said, tonight he could go out there and just mow down the A's, and that's all he needs is a little confidence and, and to lock it in, and and he'll cruise from there on out. Who knows? Uh, but it, it's it's impressive to see. I didn't think they'd be as good at the start. I thought there would be some rocky moments, uh, but they've, they've locked it in pretty quickly for this staff. Uh, nearly as a whole, one through four really looks good right now, and and, and I'm curious to see how good they can be. Uh, really, for me, I think it, the guy that I'm most curious about is Tyon because I feel like there are moments where he's not fully at his best, and once he starts like kind of getting in his rhythm, we could see him start going six, seven innings, and and that's that's when I think it gets really intriguing because then you save the bullpen a little bit more, and and can it seems like Smiley's more of a five to six inning guy, and and you know it just you know it just changes everything from day to day if you can push these guys deeper. 
Yeah, to me, the biggest like individual takeaway from this Oakland series is going to be whether or not Wesneski gets right. Because if he doesn't, like, is it going to happen against the Dodgers or Padres? I haven't mapped out you know his next schedule, but it's kind of like between that and then you know what has been a series of encouraging updates on Kyle Hendricks. Like, I think there was a lot of justified skepticism like when he was shut down last year of like is he coming back or not like like what can the Cubs expect and really kind of every checkpoint thus far it's been encouraging obviously Kyle is not one to get too high or too low but just as side of and I've talked to him throughout this process you know he's been really upbeat and confident in the people um who kind of put this program together and the fact that he had, you know, a lot of runway to get to this point. So, um, and that also speaks to like how, again, how this team is constructed. Like there are a lot more levers that they can pull uh, as it gets deeper into the season here. Like they're certainly not locked into this 26. And I don't know at what point you define when you start uh, pressing some of those buttons and, you know, mixing things up but I think it's a lot closer than maybe we thought coming out of spring training like you the team is getting some interesting data points and uh, there are options in Iowa if they want to go down that route sooner than later you know what drives a lot of that for me is the fact that it's still very early in the season but we're seeing confirmed so far that this is a Cubs team that can be competitive. It's not obviously terrible. It hasn't been decimated by injuries and terrible underperformances and just, oh, this is going to be a terrible team. It's also not going to be, you know, a 105-win team. Like, it's just clearly not that level. So if you're in that big, juicy middle where every incremental win can be dramatically important to your chances at making the playoffs later on, I think that's when you have to operate with a little more urgency early in the year to try to make sure you're doing everything to capture as many early season wins as possible. And uh, to me, it goes exactly to the point you're making, Mooney, which is, you know, the Cubs have some guys at Iowa and some opportunities to make changes uh, to, to try to shave off every possible hole that we might see at the big league level. And like you said, I don't know how early you start pulling that trigger um, because you do want to give in, you know, you just you don't want to be too quick to say up oh, this guy's toast. Let's let's move on at the big league level um, with established veteran players that maybe they just need a moment to get their feet under them. But, you know, I, I, I don't want to dance around it. It's like Matt Mervis is destroying the ball at Iowa right now. And it's not just that his numbers are great. It's not just that he has great results. It's that between last year at AAA and this year so far, he's doing it in all the ways that you would look at and say, boy, I kind of want to see how this guy does against big league pitching because he's taking his walks. He's not striking out. He's still hitting for power. He's hitting against lefties. He's doing everything that you would say, you know, he needs that next step, which is facing better pitchers. And that, corresponds with an opportunity for the Cubs to add to their offense. And I think that that's, that's the earliest season lever that I'm kind of hoping the Cubs do pull um, because, you know, Christopher Morrell, obviously his numbers have been even more otherworldly at AAA so far, but 
he didn't play at AAA last year, and he has still some defensive development. He has some strikeout-related development to do, and he's a little younger. That, you know, I think he's more likely to come up when the Cubs have a, a need for him. But with Mervis, I think there might be an opportunity to say, you know what, we can't fart away a chance at early season wins because we are like, well, we've got a veteran. We kind of got to give runway. No, this is a year where you're going to have to be a little more assertive than that, I think. Yeah, and if you kind of look at who's doing what on offense, I mean, nothing's too like crazy, right? Ian Happ will probably come down to earth a little bit. Same with Wisdom. But say a Suzuki's going to impact the club in a positive way, uh, and, and that'll kind of balance that out. Uh, so there's no like crazy veteran, you know, Hosmer's hot streak lasted a week, right? And now he's come back down to earth. Mancini's really fighting it. I mean, it's his, his at bats are, are not great at the moment. Uh, so with those two struggling, it, it just puts all the more of a spotlight on Matt Mervis. Uh, and, and when you look, so, I mean, my point is, there's some sustainability to this offense, right? Nothing too crazy is happening, and, and it's not like we're seeing these hot stretches from veterans that you're just like, that's not going to happen, or you're not going to see this last. Uh, so you do want uh, to see some young guys get an opportunity and, and, and maybe balance things out and and, and lengthen the lineup. Um, I, I, I do think at some point we will. We'll see some moves made. I, I do wonder how quickly it's going to happen. Uh, it's 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 hard to say how long they stick with these guys. I If I had to look at it and guess who's going to kind of turn things around, I'd, I'd bet on Mancini. We've seen a more recent trend for him to, to have uh, solid seasons, uh, you know, beyond just like random hot stretches here and there. He's... He's been a productive bat in recent years, uh, It's but it, it's really bad right now. I mean, nothing is being struck well. There's a lot of balls on the ground, a lot of strikeouts. It's piling up. Since that home run, it seems like he's uh, things have just like kind of cratered for him. Uh, Hosmer, on the other hand, looks like how Hosmer generally does when he grounds out a ton and doesn't provide a lot of value elsewhere. Uh, so, yeah, I'm... I'm are the, are the Cubs going to be aggressive this year with the, with these types of moves? Are they are are they looking at this as as uh, a time to just kind of say like let's let's give some runway to Matt Mervis and see what he can do? And and there's also I mean I don't want to completely dismiss the value of having these veterans in the clubhouse too. I I you know I'm not sure how much it's just Hosmer, but I know in general they're really happy with the clubhouse with how the veterans are behaving and treating the young kids, how there's some uh, camaraderie outside of just the field. Uh, I, you know, how much does that stuff matter? We could debate that all day, but I think it does have some impact. Uh, and, and guys seem to be happy to be around the team. There's a lot of talking and joking, and, and uh, they seem to be around each other a lot. I think that's good, and that helps build a culture and 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 build towards a winning uh, group. But ultimately, talent is what wins out, right? So you can't just keep keep people around because uh, they're they're good at at being nice to to people on the team, and and they they have a veteran voice that that impacts the group. I think 
you know, going back to where we started this conversation, like the Cubs are giving themselves a chance. Like they're not in the same division as the Tampa Bay Rays. You know, no one uh, ran away with their division. They have uh, a lot of built-in depth and flexibility within their 26-man roster. They have a AAA Iowa team that from top to bottom is probably about as good as it's been in a really long time. Obviously, it doesn't have, you know, Chris Bryant working on his defense for a couple of days or, you know, Javier Baez taking kind of a whatever, some sort of kind of uh, finishing school in Des Moines. But, like, there are lots of moves that this front office can make. And, obviously, they getting even farther down the road, they – left some room beneath the luxury tax if that's kind of where this goes. And I think, you know, you see these kind of tiers in the National League and, you know, the longer the Cubs can, like, stick around and let, you know, um, some momentum build and get into the summer and be relevant, like, that would be just really significant and meaningful for them. And that's why you have to kind of win those series when you have an opportunity to perfect place to leave it because the Cubs have that kind of series on deck although it's west coast and it's on the road this Oakland A's team is terrible it is intentionally terrible it seems like and so to take at least two or three in this series particularly with the continued tough schedule that lays ahead seems pretty important and hopefully the Cubs can ride the high of the Dodger series into that and hopefully Hayden Wisniewski starts things off it, for a lot of reasons, hopefully starts it off well this evening. Uh, this is on to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I'm Brett Taylor. You can catch my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That is Patrick Mooney and Sadiq Sharma. Get theirs at The Athletic. Three games in Oakland uh, before this uh, you know, short West Coast swing. And uh, we will be back at you on Thursday after that series and talk about all the good and wonderful things that happened uh, for the Cubs at that point. Uh, (laughs) I hope. All right. We, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you later this week. Hope you have a good one and appreciate you as always. Take care. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 